This is Jared May in Shanghai. You're listening to I Love This, You Should Too with Indy Randawa and Samantha Hees. Happy Halloween, everyone out there, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of I Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy, the Ghostface Killer Randawa. With me is Samantha, Razorblade Fingernails He's. It makes me sound a lot scarier than I actually yeah, am. Yeah, because it's Spooktober, everything's scary. True, you're right. Everything gets a lot creepier this time of year. So today is a a weird day for us to be coming to you, but we have a special bonus episode and we are going to be talking about the movie Halloween from 1978. What better Halloween movie to talk about? True. There are none. No better Halloween movies. At all? For Halloween, no. What about Spooky Buddies? Oh, Spooky Buddies is pretty good. (laughs) Well, uh, next episode, we're going to do our Halloween movie picks so we can talk all about them then. Okay, sounds good. But Spooky Buddies does have... Little golden retrievers running away from a ghost, and they run downstairs, and it's the cutest thing ever. The running downstairs was the best part of that movie. Okay, this is really off topic now, but you know how I kind of get movies ready like way ahead of time. Yeah, I was looking at Christmas movies. There are so many dog-based Christmas movies. Yes, I saw without exaggeration about fifteen golden retriever Christmas movies. Can we do our bonus episode in December just about dog Christmas movies? Quite possibly, yes. <laughs> but that has to wait because right now we are getting spooky. It's October. Before we get into the yes, yeah, you see, you see, it just ghost. got real spooky in here. Before we get into the movie, uh, what are you drinking today? Uh, today, I am drinking a pumpkin pie spiced ale from Alley Cat Brewing here in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, it is a spicy, delicious ale that reminds me of Halloween and Thanksgiving. Yeah, it just tastes like autumn. Huh? It does. It just like everything about this beer is like a warm hug. I know a lot of pumpkin-y beers get a little saccharine and artificial flavoring, and this one I don't get that from. It's, no. It's not subtle, exactly. It's still like a strong pumpkin taste, but it tastes it tastes natural and nice. Yeah, I like this one. I feel like this is one of the few pumpkin beers that I could have two of without feeling like ill. You don't feel like you're eating a piece of pie exactly, even yeah, though it's I, called pumpkin pie. Or like, yeah, when you have way too much sweet stuff all in a row, I feel like some mm-hmm. pumpkin beers really leave you with that like aftertaste and then your stomach doesn't feel great. But the pumpkin pie spiced ale from Alley Cat Brewing is so good, you'll want to drink all six at once. Wow. Um, with that kind of endorsement, they should be giving us free beer. Yeah. Come on, Alley Cat. Come on, on, Alley Cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to give a little shout out because today I have my Terrell Corporation t-shirt. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And uh, of course, Terrell Corporation being the company in Blade Runner, a movie that I really loved. And Samantha later admitted that was one of the greatest movies of all time. Is that what you said? I said I liked it quite a bit. Something like that. <laughs> Uh, but that one was made custom by a little company called Subtle Tees here in oh. Edmonton. And uh, Subtle Tees, the T's is spelled like T-E-E-S. But I'll put a little link in the uh, in the show notes. So if Excellent. you want to go get a shirt made or if you want the same Terrell Corp one, it's uh, pretty slick. I think I'm just going to try and match you. Yeah. You guys get the same shirt? Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
You know my goal in life is for us to match at all times. That's true. <laughs> Sam uh, really tries to get us to dress alike, and I am not having it. <laughs> you did it last weekend. Unintentionally. I was dressed, and then you put on similar clothes. Yeah, that's how I took you into doing it. Yeah, I don't care for that. <laughs> Again, we're getting off topic, but I used to live in Korea where couples did that all the time. They called it a couple look, yes. where you wear the exact same clothes, and I thought it was so strange, and... Now, here I am in Canada, and you want to do the same thing. Yeah. Last thing before we get into it. I'm uh, very sick. I will edit out all of the coughing I do, hopefully. But uh, if I sound weird, you know what? Deal with it. And you are also very tired. And stuffed up, yes. Yeah. We're both tired. We're both sick. But you know what? We do it for you. We do it for you. We could be in bed right now. But we love you guys so much that we wanted to bring you bonus content. And... Well, I love Halloween so much that I wanted to do it. Yes. And I guess you guys are all right, too. <laughs> what about our diehard fans? We do have a few diehard we fans. We do. I'm uh, very impressed and thankful. So, yeah, thanks Me a too. lot. That's yeah. pretty awesome. I feel like we need to get a list together of people who listen all the time. You know what I learned just today? That there's people that I see on a day-to-day basis that listen to all of the episodes, and I had no idea because we don't really talk about yeah. it. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah. I um people care what we say. <laughs> I was talking to someone just like last week and I was kind of like updating them on my life and they're like, "Yeah, I know. You have a podcast and I follow your Instagram. Like, I know everything that's going on in your life." <laughs> <laughs> that is terrifying. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I kind of forgot that like I don't need to tell people everything that's going on in my life because between Instagram and our podcast, everyone knows. Yeah. My Instagram is about 6 years late of what I'm up to, so people are like, "Oh, how was Indonesia?" <laughs> you're like, "Oh, it takes me a long time to edit photos." A long time ago. So, if you need to know what's going on with us, just follow my Instagram. I don't post personal stuff on mine, but you do. So you got me covered. So if you're looking for Andy and you want to make sure he's okay, he usually shows up in my stories at least once a week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now let's get to it. Uh, The John Carpenter classic, Halloween from 1978. Yeah. So the first time you saw it was last Last year, actually on Halloween day. Yeah. We were hanging out and handing out candy, and I brought that movie over, and I said, we need to watch this. Yes, and I think we agreed that we both wanted to watch it on Halloween. Yeah, so what better time? So that was that was really good, and uh, so this is kind of a different episode for us, because we've both seen the movie already. No one's seeing it for the first time. We just watched it again. So watching it on your second time, how do you like it? I liked it. It's good. It's, it's really good. good it's really good. And since we watched the newest Halloween installment, and you were kind of pointing out some things to me, um, I actually found I enjoyed the movie a little bit more because I was looking for those kind of iconic scenes, like when he looks over the balcony mm-hmm. to see if he's still in the grass, and um, just all of the little shots that are like kind of mirrored and flipped in the new Halloween. Yes. I, I really enjoyed that. And I think I liked it better this time than the last time I watched it with you. Because at that time, I wasn't getting you to watch a lot of movies like we are now for the podcast. Yeah. And it was kind of the first and only movie from the 1970s that I'd gotten you to watch. So I was kind of wary about the pacing, if it was going to hold up for you. But now that I feel like you're... You're getting a feel for these things a lot more. I uh, just sat back and enjoyed it myself and was, uh, yeah, was really taken away into the movie again. Mm-hmm. It's, it holds up. It, it does. Really does. 
It does. And it's like there are moments where it seems a little dated just from the dress and the way that the kids act. Of and course. And the, just a, a few things here and there. But um, there's a lot of things that really hold up. Um, I mean, it's still scary. It's still got those elements. Um, and uh, it's got a good um, slow pace, which really makes it a lot creepier. So originally in this podcast, we would often talk about how much a movie cost and how right. much it made. And most of the movies we were looking at were between like 32 million up to well, a couple hundred million for yes. a lot of those. Titanic and all of those ones. Uh, do you want to guess at Halloween's budget? 15 million. 300,000. 300,000? Yes. This oh. is like a true low budget movie. I did not realize that you could make a movie for $300,000. This is a movie that really got me into making horror films. Oh. Because that was one of the first things we realized is that if you have the style, if you have the atmosphere, you can get away with a lot and make it low budget. This is special, I think, because it makes up for it in innovation a lot of ways. Okay. Not an innovation like we think of, oh, Matrix and Titanic yeah. had all that new technology, but so many of the things we take as this is what horror movies are, this is what slasher films are, all came from this movie. Oh. So a lot, a lot of people might watch it now and think that, like, oh yeah, it plays into all of these stereotypes that I've seen. It, it doesn't. It, it made those the stereotypes. Yeah, it made the It created those themes. Oh, that's really cool. And I'm sure that as we watch more horror movies from like newer times and that kind of thing, I, I bet I'll be able to see a lot more of that coming out. I just, not being a huge horror fan, I think I, I don't think I've seen enough horror films to actually make that decision myself. Yeah, I think horror movies are a hard one for a lot of people to go back and watch old ones of right. because they seem especially dated. Horror and comedy. I feel like a lot of comedy routines now, if you watch some of, a, some of the great stand-ups from, from the 70s, you'll think like, well, that's not exactly as funny. If you watch a horror movie from the 70s, a lot of audiences now won't think it's as scary. And I think it's because those genres especially... It's like you're standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. Every horror movie now takes so much from Carpenter, from Craven, from Hitchcock, and it's taken that and arguably improved maybe, but definitely refined it and used all the things that they built. So mm -hmm. now when we go back and watch something that is just that, it seems kind of stripped down and sparse. Right. And in this case, in Halloween, it definitely works because that's the aesthetic that yes, they already have yeah. with its low budget and, and the themes of the movie. Absolutely. I really enjoyed that feeling of the um, the feeling of that like slow creep, the like the loneliness almost of it, just because she's home alone. And I don't know how much babysitting you did, but I always got super like freaked out when I was home alone and the kids were already in bed and I was just like waiting for parents to come home, mm -hmm. it always felt very creepy. And I can totally feel that feeling watching this movie. And so did you kind of see the movie through Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Lori? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's important. I know I've had talked about this movie with a few other people and over the years if you're having trouble with this movie, if you don't see a way in and you mm. feel kind of detached, I think it's because so many movies, horror movies these days, we see the world through the eyes of the killer. People kind of identify with the killer and that's yeah. that's problematic in a lot of ways, but the killers are the, the stars of most of these movies. Yes. 
And that's who you want to, you want to go on the ride with them because that's the fun part, or so we think at least. And that's not the case here. Mm -hmm. Although you do literally a few times see through Michael Myers' eyes, this is Laurie's story more than anything. I like how little, like they, they gave him a bit of an introduction, but they don't like beat you over the head with the backstory of Michael Myers and like what he's been doing for the last, I don't know. 30 years of his life like you know that he murdered somebody you know that his parents found him you know that he's been in an institution his entire life but you don't know much else about him like you don't have a diagnosis you don't have like a whole bunch of doctors standing around talking about him you just have very little tidbits of stories and you're kind of left to make your own conclusions and I think one of the things that really helps with that is you never see his face Absolutely. Yeah. And then when you do, I will talk about that. When okay, we get there. we'll get we'll get there. But yeah, I agree. Like, I love that they give him no motivation. Yeah. It seems so much scarier to have someone that kills without any reason at yes. all. Yes. Like, I know in a lot of movies in those psychological horrors, it can be very effective if you go completely the other way and you show exactly how someone became who they are. And that, that works really well, too. But if you kind of go halfway, like a yeah. lot of movies do, of like, oh, they had a troubled childhood. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's the least effective. Yes. And I think in this, we get the other extreme where we have no idea what made him like this yes. and why he's doing any of this. I like that because there's so much unknown. And yeah. then you really feel like Lori's side of it because she has no idea who this guy is. She has no idea that there's, like, this escaped criminal and he's coming for her for some reason. And she doesn't she doesn't know what's going on until the very, very end when he's actually trying to attack her. Yeah, you almost forget that Lori doesn't have this backstory no. at all. She has nothing. And it's only at the end when she says to Loomis, was that the boogeyman? And he says, yes, as a matter of fact, it was. Mm-hmm. You kind of, it really hits home that... She was just having a normal night and all yes. of this happened out of nowhere. And that is so terrifying. Yes. And that, that this could just happen to you. And that makes it feel very much like it could happen to you. And like maybe the next time you're home alone, there might be like a masked madman waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just how random this is, is, is really scary. Yeah. And it's unique in these movies because in uh, Friday the 13th, the, the Jason Voorhees movies, mm-hmm. He thinks that this camp is his kind of his territory and his mother was taking vengeance. And just like in a, a Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy is taking his vengeance upon the children of the parents who wronged him. And there's there's motivation, but Michael doesn't have any of this. Even his doctor, which is probably not something a doctor should say, but no. just thinks he's complete evil. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he's there's just, no he's just evil. There's no like way to explain it. And I like that they don't explain it. Yes. Um, Which is a problem in sequels, but we'll talk yes. about that a little bit. And later. I like that he's just, like, when we first meet him, for the very little moment that we actually do get to see him in his own kind of environment before he gets sent to an institution. When he's a child. Yeah. Yes. There is no backstory given, like, oh, abusive parents yes, exactly. and oh depression or like oh you watched so many horror movies that he just decided to try it out yeah. or like disturbed child from the start like you don't get any of that no the only explanation and it's not even explanation the only like kind of hint we get is that he puts on a mask 
Yes. And I love the idea of the mask. And you probably know all the stories about the Halloween mask. Tell me. Oh, well, so this is like <laughs> one of the most uh, well-known pieces of uh, horror movie trivia, but the the iconic Michael Myers mask, yes. it is a Captain Kirk mask. Really? Painted white. Oh. So it was such a low-budget movie that they had asked a design company, hey, can you make a mask for us? They couldn't afford it. Uh, they went to the store, got this 89-cent William Shatner mask. They cut the sideburns off, painted it white. And just made the eye holes a little bigger. And that's what it is. That's crazy. Yeah. I and didn't know that. Yeah, that... it's so iconic now. Wow. And I love that he needs this mask. When in the opening scene, when the mask is taken off, he's not in a rage or anything mm-hmm. like that. He's kind of stunned, almost yes. as if in, he wasn't in control when yeah. he was wearing the mask. And later on, his mask is pulled off for a moment and that just stops him in his tracks. He can't do anything until he puts the mask back on. Right. And that's a that's a great little uh, great little tool. And I love the eye holes because it's not like you see more of his eyes. You just see darkness in there. Yes. Yeah, they do a really good job of just making it almost like there's like a black screen between you and the face. Yeah, because you always hear that the eyes are the windows to yeah. the soul and he has nothing there. He doesn't have there. a soul because he's pure evil. Yeah, that's a... It's such a simple thing. And I love them. I think the simplicity goes through like with the mask and just the style of the of the movie in general. And I think because the mask is so just expressionless and plain mm-hmm. that you you kind of project whatever you're scared exactly. of on that. Yes. And and it's very much like the idea of the boogeyman. Like I feel like it's yeah. different to everybody. So when Michael Myers is described as the boogeyman and he's got this like really blank generic mask on he's almost everyone's different idea of the boogeyman just based on how they're seeing him yeah and it's so fitting that they call him the boogeyman because you don't have an idea of what that looks like no you can say werewolf and vampire and we know what that is the boogeyman is just some some ephemeral unknowable evil exactly and he's one of the few i assume it's a he because he's got man in his title but yeah you He's one of the few people who don't have, like, a manifestation in movies or pictures or anything like that. Until we watch Mr. Boogity one day. Are we going to watch Mr. Boogity? <laughs> we'll see. That was a weird movie that I saw when I was, like, six or something and scared me then. But I think it's just <laughs> a really weird movie. Yeah, it's just a really clever way to to keep the killer mysterious. And the movie itself also just deceptively simple in how it's shot there's a few uh steady cam it wasn't even called a steady cam there and it's something called like a panaglide or something but uh just something that kind of tracks and follows people around that sounds so 70s panaglide <laughs> panaglide i think it is called a panaglide the camera they used but yeah it's a it's a really simple movie and i think they they know because they don't have this huge budget that's how they're gonna make a successful movie yeah Keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) So, Indy, usually we do what your favorite and your least favorite parts of the movie are. Do you think we should do that with this special edition? Sure. What's your favorite part of Halloween? I think my favorite part of Halloween is when... I think it's multiple parts, but it's when the people don't realize that Michael Myers is right behind them and they're kind of still going about their, their, you know, stuff and they're, they're so oblivious to it. And he just looks so sinister in the back. And it really reminds me of how, like, how oblivious you can be to your surroundings. Mm -hmm. I really like that. 
Yeah, I think Carpenter is definitely a fan of Alfred Hitchcock, as probably every filmmaker is, but Carpenter definitely takes a lot from him. And Hitchcock once talked about tension, and he said the way to create it is by having the audience know something that the characters don't. Right. A kind of dramatic irony in that way. Right. So his example was, there's two people talking and having dinner, they're having a conversation at a table. Then the camera pans down and there's a ticking bomb underneath the table. Like, that's tension. Samantha's looking right now. There is not. <laughs> we are sitting at a table talking right now. <laughs> so that's what uh, what Hitchcock said about tension and how to create it. Right. And Carpenter does that so well. Because up until like almost an hour into this 90-minute movie, Michael Myers doesn't make contact with any of these characters. Yes. Before that, he's just in the background just watching. And I know... I think a lot of people today might watch it and just feel like it's slow and he's just standing there. But I think that's like such a great exercise in creating tension that yes. Carpenter does in this. Yeah. And the scenes that you're talking about are just the real peak of that. Because yeah. first he's like across the street, he's in a car, you can't see him. But when he's right behind them and they don't know it, that's the kind of the peak of that tension. You it know is. something's going to happen. Yeah. And it's that, that fear of something go that's going to happen is just scarier than someone coming around and cutting everyone up with a knife. Yes. Um, so, Indy, what's your favorite part? You know what? Of all the great things I said Carpenter does in this movie, I think the greatest might be the score he created. Mm, I love the score. music of Halloween. It's arguably the best theme. It's right up there. But that score throughout, it's just fantastic. It's unique. We might listen to it now and say, like, oh, that's just what music sounded like then. It's not. No. That's, this is just a Carpenter thing. Yeah. And he... It thinks of himself that he's not a great musician, so he says everything's really simple because I'm just not that good at it. But whatever it is, it works. It wor it's great. And it has that kind of, the theme has that four or five time, so it's a little bit out of pace of what yeah. we know. And Which it just is what makes it a edge. little more unnerving, yeah. Um, I think they could have used the music like 30% less. I... I get what you're saying. It is big. It's like right in your face. But and I, I feel love like it. they, it's on the score. Like it's it's in the movie too much. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they should save it for like the really crazy moments. Oh, like the the main theme. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. But there's other like uh, musical cues in it as well, which I also think are yeah, really good. But... Yeah, but I just feel like that one score, mm -hmm. like the one that we the had, theme, the main theme. Yeah, the one that we had last week in the. Um, in the pre-episode for Gerald's game, you played it and it's just so iconically that. But when you watch the whole movie, there's no one moment that it really kind of leads you to think about. It just makes you think about the whole movie. And I feel like it could have been pinpointed a little bit better. That was my least favorite part. Just how much the score was how in there? How much the score was wow. in there. And what was your least favorite part? I don't know. It's tough to say. I think most of it was pretty great. Perhaps um, the character, I think her name was Annie. Yes. Her telephone acting. Oh, yeah. She, yeah, she was bad at that. She wasn't waiting for the other person's lines to be done. She looks at the phone and talks to it a few times. Um, yeah, that was a little strange. There are a bunch of things when we were watching it where I would laugh and was like, oh, that wasn't well done. But I just... I've forgotten and forgiven all of those already. Well, that's it's just the a good sign movie. of a good movie. Yeah, no doubt. For sure. So I was saying before that this is kind of the pioneer of the slasher genre. There was yes. like Psycho before, and I guess Texas Chainsaw was before, but this is the one that really uh, made the blueprint 
for so many of those, especially like the the Friday the 13th series and all the Halloween sequels that then followed. So when you think of some of the the tropes of the slasher movie, what do you think of? Um, I think of really irresponsible babysitters. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Annie so, especially. Did you babysit? I did not. You didn't? No. Um, I did, and I can't ever imagine having all my friends over to make out in someone else's house. Annie is such a bad babysitter. She oh, leaves her child with someone else and then has, like, other friends over to just, like, have sex upstairs. Yeah, and it's not even her house. Yeah. So is this a normal theme in slasher movies? Oh, so much. Slashers often get accused of, and rightfully so for the most part, that there's this through line through all of them that once you're sexually active or do something irresponsible, you get killed. Yes. And I think movies like Scream and those late 90s movies like really pointed out because they were plays on those old tropes. Right. And most movies now are. Like like I was saying before, horror movies now, they can't be as simple as they were then because everyone has to build off of these. So they kind of get much more convoluted for the most part, unless they're completely original. Okay. But yeah, there's this theme a lot of the time. And Halloween is accused of it for sure that if you're, especially if you're female, if you're sexually active, then you're going to die. And I don't think it works as much in this. I'm sure I'll get a lot of pushback on that. But I think that that's definitely a thing in the Friday the 13th series, but not as much in this one. Although it does seem like he kills his sister in the beginning, right after she has sex. Yes. And she's still naked and sitting in her room. Yeah, I'd argue that for the most part, though, Michael kills whoever he comes across. Yes. And... Like the guy in the truck. Yeah. And yeah, so you're... He kills pretty indiscriminately, I'd say. Like the reason people often say like, well, why is he like latch on to Jamie Lee Curtis's character? I think it's because he saw her. He saw her and he knew where she'd be. She yeah. was easy to find. I'm sure if the um, the truck driver put up a, a really long fight, then the movie would be about that. Yeah. Right? But it's just he kills whoever he sees. He uh, does kill like that other guy and a dog and it's just whoever kind of gets in his way. And the other thing that goes along with that often is the idea of the final girl. That's what it's usually called, where there's one character who's usually very virtuous and female, and she survives at the end. Right. And I don't think this follows it, because it created it, I would say. Yeah. So it doesn't really follow it as perfectly as a lot of movies do later, because Jamie Lee Curtis does, like, she does drugs with her friends, and she... Maybe isn't the greatest babysitter as well. I guess she doesn't have sex, so she, there's that part. But, yeah. Uh, I think Carpenter himself said, like, well, it's not, I didn't think of those things when I made it. I just made, she survived because she wasn't distracted. Oh. She wasn't preoccupied with all of these things. Right. She was, like, she was on top of things, and that's why she survived. Again, like, I say with everything, that's a 70s movie. I think it's more of a product of the 70s than of the slasher genre. Right. Like, as the religious right in American culture began to really emerge then, there was the fundamental Christian movement and uh, Ronald Reagan's presidency, and there's this perceived increase of, like, scary, deviant behavior, and the family unit is falling apart. Right. So I think Michael Myers is more representative of, um, 
like wanting to push back against the 1960s sexual revolution, women's liberation. And Myers is kind of like a, a product of this new 70s coming to, to crush all of that freedom more than it's like sex is bad. Right. I think that's too simplistic for uh, for this. So I know you love just hearing me talk about the 70s, right? Always. <laughs> Forever. Time I was never alive, but I can't stop talking about it. I just, I, it's just the best time. That's in... the funniest part about you talking about the 70s is that you weren't alive during it, but you love it so much. Well, it's not like I love the 70s. It's like, oh, they were great. I love the films that were created there. I love the, the terrible political climate that made such great art. Halloween is it actually shares a lot with uh, we talked about Dog Day Afternoon on this yes. podcast and it shares some things with that because Dog Day Afternoon was a world where the institutions had failed mm -hmm. and Halloween is definitely predicated on the failure of all of these American institutions. So first there's the um, the doctors the doctors can't diagnose Michael Myers they can't even keep him locked up so they fail the police they can't catch him they're useless utterly useless yes the police are so all over the place in this movie yeah. it doesn't even seem like there are police no it's that one guy driving yeah. around in a car and he's dead that's about it yeah and then uh finally it's the the family itself the parents the parents have failed their children because where are they in all this it's are there true. no parents in haddonfield no also, where did all the parents go? Yeah, I guess there's like one big parent party. It's one big swingers party. That's, That's where they all are. That, okay, so we figured it out. All the parents are just banging the other parents. Yeah. And they're all too busy to notice that all of their children are being murdered. Right. Um, I think that solves it. Yeah, okay. Cool. Well. <laughs> yeah, I like that like in this world, the uh, more than just having a killer out there, the greatest fear is really that they're their entire peaceful universe can just be disrupted so easily. And it has a lot in common with a lot of other 70s movies, things like uh, like French Connection, Clockwork Orange, Apocalypse Now. A lot of those movies rely on, on a lot of ambiguity. I think that's the thing I, I push on you a lot. Like, I love how movies are, they don't have clear answers to things. Right. It's up to us. And it's not even up to us to come up with the answer. It's just up to us to think about the question really and to be open to the fact that there is no answer yes oh I'm so proud of you right now <laughs> thank you i'm trying i'm learning a lot from these movies yeah. halloween just embraced that like that uncertainty in like really scary way it's kind of always asking you like you were saying like now what the, the characters have to deal with this uncertainty and it's forcing you as a viewer to deal with it as well. Yes. And Myers is kind of like the embodiment of all of that uncertainty. He's like completely unknown. He has no motivation, no reason. We think that he's just a person, but then you can shoot him six times and he survives. But he's yeah. not like a ghost or a monster. He's just, he's just something that we don't know and we don't understand. Spooky. I love in the in the script because of course I've read the script. Of course you have. Um, no one is surprised. <laughs> he's just called the shape. He's not called Michael Myers. In the really? Script. Even in the credits, I think it's just the shape. Really? Yeah. No. And that's just that's just so fitting for this in this completely unknowable evil. He's not a person. He's just he's just the shape. And that's I love even scarier, isn't it? Yeah. Just saying that makes it kind yeah. of extra creepy. Yeah. And I love um, at the ending, he survives, we assume. And having yes. him to survive and disappear is like 
super powerful, I it think. It is, yeah. More powerful than if they'd been able to arrest him and he escaped again. Yeah. Yeah, that's not nearly as creepy. I think cause... him falling out of that window and then just not being there underneath mm-hmm. is so – it kind of shatters that – um, like predictability that you expect from a movie like this. Absolutely. You're like, oh, it's the end of the movie. Everything's going to be all right. And then you're like, no, no, yeah. bad guy escapes. Like, we don't know where he is. We don't know if they're actually safe. And then you have to just like go home and be all right with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a creepy idea. I wish I could have been going to movies and alive in the 70s where <laughs> just think if you're in this whole crowd with all these people and then you go into the world and you're like yeah that that's out here somewhere that could be anywhere exactly Super. and because it was such a low budget movie i don't think that they were planning like oh sequel i think it was just like that's how they left it and that's such a 70s thing to do absolutely not that i know much about the 70s oh you do you do now i know more than i think i do i think so this movie definitely taught me a few things. Oh, what'd you learn? Um, so here's the three things I learned from Halloween. If it's raining and there's creepy music playing, nothing good's gonna happen. Mm, yeah, I think that's fair. But <laughs> hopefully, yeah, if you're walking outside and you hear creepy music, yeah, you should you move. Should go Someone's fast. setting you up. Go fast. Yeah. If you escape from a mental institution you've been in all of your life, you're going to be a really good driver. Like, how does someone who's probably sat in a car like a handful of times Mm -hmm. in his life, and that was in the backseat, how does someone like that actually learn to drive? Well, maybe they're always playing movies in the institution, and it was a bunch of, like, he was watching French Connection and car chase (laughs) movies, Smokey and the Bandit, Dukes of Hazzard. So the third and final thing that I learned was don't ever put down the knife. Yes, that's... She keeps dropping the knife, and every time, this time when we watched it, that she would put down the knife, I just want to yell, like, pick the fucking knife up. (laughs) Like, what is wrong with you? Do not put the weapon down until you know you're safe. And then maybe don't even put the weapon down. Yes. And that's a bit that... Like a trope that they really play on in the new Halloween sequel, the 2018, 2017 one that's also just called Halloween because it's her and she's learned these lessons and she takes them to her. Which which makes it very satisfying. Once I got frustrated at that, I kind of remembered back to the little bit of that Halloween sequel that we watched and... uh, it did feel like, okay, she gets older and wiser. I don't need to, like, you know, continue thinking about this, like, how stupid it is that she just keeps putting the knife down. Yes. Um, and I, I'm i okay with it now. Yeah. I, I learned that if someone's down, it doesn't hurt to keep stabbing. You could just do one more stab. I thought about that. When 18 more stabs. When she's popping out of the closet, I'm like, just give him another little one just, yeah. just to be sure. To be fair, she's far from the, like, helpless person that we think of. No, Because she does get the knife from him. She stabs him with the sewing needle. When she's in the closet, she takes a hanger, makes a little shiv out of it, stabs him in the eye. Yeah. She's very resourceful and does as well as she could. Like, she does more damage to Mike Myers than Michael Myers. Mike Myers makes me think of, like, Austin Powers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, she does more damage to Michael Myers than he does to her. She wins. She wins the fight, really. She does win. And then she goes on to her sequel to win again. Yes, although... 
I'll really. talk to you about some of those in between Halloween like sequels where she doesn't win as much. Excellent. I can't wait. I feel like I've seen the two best Halloween movies. Maybe. And I think I don't quite know what's coming in the middle sequels that happen. Isn't well, there like nine of them? There are a lot. Do you want a little rundown I on do. some of the sequels? I do. Please give me a rundown. So I've seen them all. I don't remember a lot of them. But I was just thinking of them in um, in regards to this. Because my favorite thing about it is the kind of like the unknowability of Michael Myers. And how do you keep a figure like that through a bunch of movies? Because they just give you too much information after a while. And it goes pretty quick with the Halloween ones. It does. So in Halloween 2, we it's revealed. Are you ready for this? I don't take it to be part of the the world because it makes it worse for me. Lori, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, is Michael Myers' sister. Another sister? Yeah. The same sister? No, another sister. That's his sister. Oh. So she was adopted and, you know, just like he killed his first sister, now he's after his second sister. I don't like that. No, I don't. I don't like him having motivation. Although Halloween 2, I think, is good. And the fun thing about Halloween 2 is it picks up at Halloween 1. Lori's going to the hospital Oh, like it picks up. Oh, so it's like minutes the minute later. after, yeah. yeah. And so that is very cool about it. Halloween three, want to know the most interesting thing about this piece of shit? Yeah. Um, Michael Myers isn't in it. What? No. What? No. Who's in it? Um, like haunted masks. What? So uh, when this one came out, their idea was that they were going to make it a franchise, but it's just a movie that takes place on Halloween. So it could be about anything, but they all just take place on Halloween. Which is a fun idea, but this one was so bad they never kept doing that. Oh, so then they reverted back to the original. Yeah, then they go back to Michael Myers. So Halloween 4, Lori dies. What? Yeah. And it's like off screen or something, but then she leaves behind a daughter who's Michael's niece, and now he's after her, and her name was um, Jamie. And he's after Jamie now. And Jamie is also kind of like a Michael Myers psychopath a little bit. Yeah. This, okay. And then (laughs) Halloween 5 is Revenge of Michael Myers. And then there's Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. And they're both kind of focusing on Dr. Loomis, who's like trying to stop Michael. And uh, Jamie, the Lori's daughter. And a grown-up Tommy. He's grown up. And uh, he's after them too, I guess. And then we get to Halloween H2O. Which is this like mermaid Halloween? Yeah, it's all underwater. No, because it's uh, 20 years later, so it's Halloween 20, uh, but it was called H2O for whatever reason. And oh, I get it. Yeah, okay, that's dumb. Yeah, that was, I think, of the same time as like the scream type thing, so it definitely right. has that kind of okay, feel. so it's very 90s. This might not be right, but I seem to remember Buster Rams was in it. What is that right? Everyone out there, that can't be true, but anyways, I think he was in it, and I think um, Jamie Lee Curtis is back from the dead or something, but she's in it, and um, I think she wins, but then there's Halloween Resurrection, and Michael Myers is back to life. And then there's Halloween, the one that just came out, or in the last couple of years, and that takes place as if none of those sequels ever happened, which is, I think, a good idea. It was LL Cool J. Well, he might have been, but wasn't Buster Rhymes in one? Because I definitely know the difference between Buster Rhymes and LL Cool J. Oh, sorry, Buster Rhymes was in Halloween Resurrection. 
<laughs> yeah. I, how did I ever get all those Halloweens mixed up? Right? I'm amazed that you're keeping them all straight this way. Resurrection was pretty bad from what, what I okay, remember. Okay, where does that fall after H2O? It's the next one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you go from LL to Buster Rhymes. And then um, there's the two Rob Zombie movies, which he does like a complete reboot of them. Oh, okay. And they are good, I think. The first one was, um, it's just a different movie. Because now we're in a time where we know what serial killers are. Right. We know about like childhood trauma. So he's, and Rob Zombie just like is a brutal director in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yes. So Michael is a kid who is brutalized and then he internalizes that and becomes like this perfect okay. killer. So you get that backstory. Yeah. So he's like a giant guy now. He's like a merciless killing machine even more so. But like a, like a true, he's a psychopath. But we know why a little bit. Okay. Because that's more of the, um, of its time, I would say. Right. And then the sequel was, like, really gross, I think. They, they're much more violent. Huh. Crazy violent, actually, the second one especially. I don't know that I like that. I think none of those really capture what the first one does. Yeah. Because maybe a lot of them could be as well made. But I think the most important thing about the first one is this kind of, like, inexplicable, mysterious force and mm-hmm. you just you can't keep that going for sequels you no. can't explain it and have it have that same power and i think you lose the minimalism after eight movies yes yeah, no <laughs> doubt. i think after two movies you lose that minimalism and that ability to create from so little mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah. there's a very brief moment when michael is after laurie and his mask comes off for a yes. moment what did you think about that reveal? I liked it, like you said earlier, in that he, it like almost freezes him. I didn't feel like it was really necessary. I like that they show that he has a bit of a weakness mm-hmm. and that he has like this crutch that if you take it away, he obviously can't function. But I feel like you also don't need to unmask the boogeyman. Hmm. I, I actually really love it because... You know um, Jason Voorhees. You haven't seen Friday the 13th movies, but you know Hockey Mask. and Yes. If you take off that Hockey Mask, what, do you know what he looks like? No. So he's like a grotesque monster. Oh. Okay. Um, Freddy Krueger, you know what he looks like? Yes. He's like all burnt up and yeah. everything. Yeah, cuts and yeah. Yeah, I love the idea that Michael Myers is just some guy. Yeah. He's so nondescript. In the script, actually, they call him uh, Angelic. They say he has an angelic face. Oh. Which is scary in a completely different way. Yes, it is. Because it's definitely scary if you take it off and like, ah, it's a monster. There's worms coming out of his face. But that's not the fear that this movie instills. No, because it could just be any guy. That's exactly If you it. dress him up like anybody in like a normal day, is this guy going to be immediately recognizable as like the psycho crazy person? Yeah. Because it's one thing to have someone that looks like a zombie and you're like oh yeah they're evil but it's so unnerving to know that this this pure unadulterated evil that has no explanation can look like anyone it could be your next door neighbor and that might be something we talk about in the movie that i bring to you next oh i'm excited i love spooktober i love spooktober i love spook i want a shirt that says that i love spooktober we'll um Subtleties? Subtleties make me an I love Spooktober They absolutely would. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know what shot that I completely had forgotten about until we watched it again? 
when Loomis and the nurse pull up to the institution and there's just people wandering around in the rain oh, in their gowns. so creepy. That was such a scary shot. I think that's one of the reasons why hospital gowns are so creepy. And that's another thing I'd forgotten. We get a glimpse of Michael Myers in a gown jumping into the car. Yes. And that was weird. I didn't like it in like a good way. Like, yes. It made me feel uh, nervous about that. I, I think I've always found hospital gowns really creepy, and I don't think I knew why. Mm-hmm. And I I think I know why now. I think just from various horror things that I've seen and, like, kind of like those horror stereotypes that you get, um, I think that's, that's kind of – I found where it stems from. Because not even having seen many horror movies, I still know there are, like, certain things that are very creepy. Or perhaps it goes the other way, that Carpenter has like tapped into something that we all know is inherently scary, and then he's putting it on screen, and we all just look at them and go like, oh yeah, we all agree that that's scary. Yes. He's kind of tapped into the collective unconscious with that. Absolutely. And uh, another thing I really like that he does, formally speaking, is the use of space. So when we start out with the scenes that have both Michael Myers and Laurie, we, do you remember where they first see each other? When she's leaving the key under the mat? Or when they see each other? Or I guess any of that. But it's it's outside. Like the first time I think is maybe when she's in class and she sees him across the street. Right. So there's like a big space in between them. Oh, right. Also in that scene, do you, the, the, the teacher is talking about fate and how fate is this unstoppable force. We, I'm winking very heavily at Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she's like just kind of like setting up the whole idea of the rest of the movie. Yes. That this... This is an unstoppable force. We don't know why. We don't know how, but it's happening. Yes. Just like Michael Myers. But anyways, it's across that space. Then the next time they see each other, they're on the same street. Then the next time they see each other, he's about 20 feet away, but they're still outdoors. And the space just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we have a kill where it's in a kitchen. Then it goes to a bedroom, and finally at the climax of the movie, Lori's hiding in a, in a closet, closet, and she just can't get in any smaller of a place. And she doesn't jump out of there. He comes in. Yes. And that's so terrifying yes. that she has her back against that, and Michael Myers is coming into that space. And she has literally nowhere left to go. So that reminds me of being a little kid and thinking about places where you can hide, and I feel like we've all hidden in a closet at some of point. Course. Um I think we've hidden in your closet together while playing like hide and go seek, but it's. I, I just want to point out to the listeners that we play with children. We play with my children. nieces and nephews. <laughs> we're not just hiding from nobody. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. That idea of not being safe in the closet really just like drives home that like nowhere is safe, and you really don't know where you're going to be unsafe. Yeah, absolutely. How this later it reverses it. So then. They're in the closet, but she fights her way out, and then Loomis comes, and he's shot, and he goes off the balcony. And after that, so we had this gradual closing in over 90 minutes. Yes. But then in the next two minutes, the next shot is, it's Laurie in the room, and she's just breaking down and crying, which makes perfect sense. That's such a, such a good ending. But hold on to the knife! Yeah. Well, he's out, at least out of the house. Yes. But we have Laurie in the room, then a wider shot of the room. Then we get a shot of the whole house and then of the street. Yes. So it's done the exact opposite and made it scary in the exact opposite, but same way to say like, well, you thought nothing could be scarier than having this killer in the closet with you. 
what about when you leave this theater? He could be anywhere. He's it's behind true. any tree. He could be in your, he's your next door neighbor. He could, he could be, be sitting anyone. behind you in the theater. Oh my God, look out. Ah! That's why you only sit in the back row. No, but it's not a good seat back there. People think, I don't know what everyone's love is for the back row. That's theater. where you make out. No, you can make out in the middle. What's the difference? <laughs> It's just, I guess it's just that you have more privacy because there's no one directly <laughs> behind you. <laughs> we talk about making out a lot on this podcast. We did. October. I think it's because there was so much making out in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Horror movies and in general talking have a about lot of making, making out. out. Yeah. So overall, you've seen, I don't know, like five horror movies. <laughs> Where is that Halloween rank? Uh, I think it's probably top. Three. Top three of five. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's not great, actually. I think top three, if anything, is good. Sure. Yeah. I would also like probably put it in my top five or so. It's not the scariest one yeah. for me, but it's one that all these other ones couldn't exist without. True. And it kind of distills so many things I love about the horror genre into its kind of most pure and primal forms. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's why I think Halloween is still a really effective movie. I agree. Well, I think we're about done for today. Um, Next Monday, this upcoming Monday, I'm going to be bringing a new movie to Samantha. And it's probably going to have me talking way too much and talking about how great the 70s and horror movies are. Oh, we're still in the 70s. We're technically in 1980, but it took five years to make. So we're pretty much in 1975. <laughs> okay, well, save that for next week. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. Um, I'm excited to continue Spooktober, our first Spooktober with the podcast. If you want to reach us and tell us what your favorite horror movies are, if you like Christmas puppy movies, what you're dressing up for Halloween, or send us pictures of your favorite Halloween costume ever, yes. you can email us at I love this, you should, and the number two at gmail.com. You can tweet us adorable pictures of you dressed as a vampire bunny, witch, Christmas puppy. Christmas puppy. So you can tweet at us at I-L-T-Y-S and the number two. Um, you can send us an Instagram post at that same handle, I-L-T-Y-S and the number two. Or you can find us on Facebook at I Love This You Should 2 dash podcast. Well, we will see you next time uh, when we discuss Indie's pick for Spooktober. All right. Goodbye. Stay spooky, everyone. Spooky. Was I searching for again? I don't know. Oh, my head. Do you want your NyQuil now? <laughs>